When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, welcome to Steelers Week. And it's another edition of Terry's Talking. I'm David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com. Joined, as always, by Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist and sports writer. Terry, how's it going? I'm doing well, David. Are you psyched for Steelers week? Yeah, I am. Because, I mean, we're in like, we don't know who's going to play quarterback. And even if Baker's sort of practicing now, how's he going to be? But I like the fact that, I mean, this, we are, of course, almost every week, you're right. Well, this is a big game. Well, this is a big game in capital letters. Yeah. Now, let me ask you about the Baker thing real quick. So it looks like today during media interviews, it looks like he's going to try and play. Mary Kay Cabot, our colleague, has been reporting. It looks like he's going to try and give it a go. Is that the right thing to do here? Where do you stand on all this? You know, I'd rather just play Keenum and prepare him. But this is I keep saying I'm not a doctor and I'm not a doctor. And this is one of those injuries. It's clear that it's gray. In other words, it's clear that it's not clear. <laughs> you know, you're, you're in the fog on it. And I keep getting everybody who's ever had a shoulder surgery, a labrum, anything, keeps sending me emails and doctor references and like how it went for them. And, but none of them are elite athletes and none of them are probably have the same exact injury he does because it looks like these can be different type of things. But the, the flip side, as I wrote, if they play Keenum, I have a full confidence he could beat Pittsburgh. It's interesting. Like this is reminding me of that scene in the, the movie Miracle about the Olympic hockey team where um, there, you know, um, I forget which player it was, but it hurt his knee and Herb Brooks is saying, can yeah. he hurt it worse if he still plays on it? Yeah. And I think that's what the Browns are really trying to figure out is like, can it, can it be worse if he plays with this shoulder the way it is? Can it damage his career long-term? And I get the sense that's the central question that both Baker and the team are really looking at is like, can, and, and so it'll be interesting to see if, if he plays, they must have satisfied that part of the equation. So, and, and fans need to keep in mind, Baker's got his own doctors involved in this. Right. So it's not just the Browns are making the call and it's all short-term thinking. Not at all. I mean, this guy is a heavyweight guy. Mary Kay got a hold of him. Um, he's the, uh, Works with the, I think it was the, the Anaheim Ducks, doesn't he? And some, something else. So he's a big, big time guy out of LA with no skin in the game except for Baker. Right. And so that's important to me. And then that way, and I, I don't think the Browns want this guy to get all racked up either long term. So, so we'll have to see uh, what happens. But I guess what I'm feeling good about is that I think Keenum could play the type of game 
He played against Denver, and they could win that type of game against Pittsburgh. So speaking of Pittsburgh, uh, for the longest time, Ben Roethlisberger was the all-time winningest quarterback at First Energy Stadium because the, <laughs> the Browns did not win many games there. And for a yeah. long time, Big Ben was the all-time winningest quarterback in the Browns Stadium. Of course, Baker Mayfield has changed all that. And and so, but if you think about Big Ben, this could be his last time playing in Cleveland. And actually, um, we're going to do a post on cleveland.com this week. We've asked our subtext subscribers, our football insiders, um, the people who are, are members of that, we've asked him, like, how do you want to say goodbye to Big Ben this week if this is his last time in Cleveland? And please keep it clean. <laughs> That's the one warning we've tried to do. But it's Browns, amazing how long Brown, here's how I want to say goodbye, around, isn't it? Browns 27, Steelers 3. How's that for it? Yeah. <laughs> That's how you Saying want to goodbye say goodbye to Ben. Yeah. yeah. But it's uh, remarkable I, how long he's been around and, and the fact that he's still playing is just really something, especially when you look at some, you know, at the, at the Browns uh, roster and how young it is. Well, if you look at the whole division of quarterbacks, you know, he's 39, he was drafted in 04. So when he was drafted, um, Joe Burrow was seven, Lamar Jackson was seven and Baker was nine. <laughs> <laughs> So Boy, the other it, three makes me feel old. Yeah. Yeah. But the point is here come these three young quarterbacks. And I think we'll be debating for a while, which order, you know, uh, you want to put them in, but here they are. Uh, Baker was the first pick in 18 and Lamar Jackson was the last pick in the first round in 18. Uh, that's, you know, one of the last moves that Ozzie Newsom made as full-time GM was to trade up and go get him. And then uh, Burrow was the first pick overall in 20. So you have those guys, you know, will be competing and who gets from who gets what kind of long-term contract to who wins the division. And it just breaks my heart. The Steelers don't have a young quarterback right behind Ben to step in with the other three. I bet. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, so I know you just said, so we're going to be, we are going to be ranking these quarterbacks against each other for a long. How would you rank them right now? One through four. I mean, Burrow to me has just got so much ability and that, and he came back remarkably well from the ACL. I'm just startled at how the Bengals upgrade their roster has worked out so well so quickly for them. Uh, I think he's number one. And then it's an interesting thing between Baker and Lamar because, you know, Lamar's got to win a playoff game here, but yet he's so spectacular. Uh, Baker's won a playoff game. Uh, and, you know, of course, now he's dealing with the injuries. So, uh, but they're fighting it out for two and three in my mind. I mean, probably right now being Lamar two, Baker three. But I just, you know, I was watching Lamar two against uh, Cincinnati, and he struggled in that second half against the Bengals. Uh, and you can believe behind. I've been reading a little bit about um, the, the Bengals defense and how they kept him under wraps a little bit. And you mm-hmm. can, you can, you can bet that every defensive coordinator in the league is going to be looking to see what they did. Um, I want to get more into that myself, but it looks like they played um, some cover zero where they were doing a lot of man to man with some blitzing. And I, yeah. you're going to see a lot of that. I wonder what the Browns might borrow from that game plan. So that, there are things I think Tennessee frustrated him last year in a, in a, in a game and some others. So we're going to, we're going to see, that's why it's fun though, to talk about, because all three of them in effect in the big picture, haven't done much, you know, you, True. and 
Burrow's not been to the playoffs. Lamar hasn't won a playoff game. Baker's won one. So they're so really in the infancy of their career. But then again, the Seahawks do have Mason Rudolph coming. Do they have the duck? They still have the duck. Is he still with them? I don't even know. I'm not sure either. I'll have to look. I so forgot he is his third string. So yes. Hey, so we usually tape this on Wednesdays, and so we did not get to talk about last week's Browns game on Thursday night. And I wanted to get your thoughts on on Dearness Johnson's performance and kind of what you thought about what he did. 22 carries for 146 yards in 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 the win. Um, it was really weird. I'm not trying to turn this into like hockey podcast, but there's there's a defenseman who plays for the Blackhawks. His name is Duncan Keith, and he never takes a hard hit because he always moves into the hit or avoids it just a little bit. And I'm watching Dearness Johnson. He really reminded me of just a crafty hockey player in the term. Nobody got a clean shot on him the whole night. He was always doing like a limp leg or just managing to get at an angle at the last minute where nobody could get a good shot at him. He was always finishing those runs for an extra one or two yards. Um, What was your impression? And what did you think? Well, when you bring that up, a couple things come to mind. Number one, when you look at his college career, he never was like the big time feature back. I mean, this is not a thousand yard rusher in a single season at uh, South Florida. You know, he was a good back, but that, I mean, he didn't get drafted. There was a reason uh, he went, went, went to the Saints and got cut. You know, John Dorsey brought him in here just kind of as a guy. And he he really made his name on special teams. But he runs like a veteran back to your point, like he's been around. And that was, you know, impressive to see him stop, make one cut. There he goes. It looks like he really reads that zone blocking scheme the right way. You want a running back too, which to do so. And that probably goes to Stump Mitchell and, and just the way those guys are. That said, I'm hoping they have Nick Chubb uh, because I'd like to see the – I like the, the two-back two approach. You know, you go in there. I, I know Demetric Felton, maybe, whatever, but he's, so, he's small. But if you're pounding away with Chubb and Dearness Johnson against the Steelers and Keenum or whoever it is, even if it's Baker playing a very conservative game plan, you can beat them as long as the defense just doesn't blow coverages. Absolutely. And if you looked a lot of the, the plays that Dearness Johnson had the other night, he wasn't being touched for three, five, seven yeah. yards down the field on some of those, taking nothing away from him. He still played just a, an excellent game, but uh, th- there was some great blocking being done. There too. was, and he read, he reads it right. That's where I'm going with that. See, this is to me, he looked like a veteran back, although he's really not. Number of, I think he came in with 45 carries or something for his entire career in the NFL uh, into that game. And you see that, and you would think this guy's like 29 years old. He's been in the league five or six years, started a few years, and was just ready to go. But they had him ready to go. Yeah. All right. Well, we got Browns versus Steelers on Sunday at First Energy Stadium, 1 o'clock kickoff. Terry, I, I know you haven't made your pick yet. but uh, Browns you, are going to win. They are. And you don't want to pick a score yet. You're going to save that and ponder, right? They're gonna, it's going to be, I don't know, four points. I don't four know. points. All right. That's I don't something. even know what the spread is. I know nothing. I just, <laughs> I, I was, I, the other thing is once in a while I pick the Browns to win. I don't want to deal with the fallout from the loss. Right. I don't <laughs> want to write the stories afterwards. I don't want to hear the, read the emails afterwards. And it's, it's not that I'm just like totally such a Browns fan. It's just, I'm a fan of good stories and having fun with the teams and beating the Steelers and going to five and three and then, okay, here comes the Bengals the next week. This is what you want. If you're a Brown, this is why you follow football. And after everything they've been through with all the injuries and, mm-hmm. and guys being out, like everything is right there for them. And if they win Sunday, even more so. So uh, it should be a great game. 
again, uh, one o'clock Sunday at First Energy Stadium. Hey, Terry, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll get into some Cavaliers. We'll talk a little Guardians. We will uh, talk a little Cody Allen and then answer some Hey, Terry questions from readers. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking. We're back on Terry's Talking. This is David Campbell with Terry Pluto. Hey, Terry, let's get into some Cavaliers here. So the Cavs are two and two. And they had a really impressive win on Monday night in Denver. They went to Denver last year and just got slapped in a big way. What was it? A 38 point loss. I don't even remember. I do. I knew. I do I remember know. turning. I remember turning it off early saying I am not. And I like basketball. I could watch pretty bad basketball for a while. Go, oh, but no, this, this, I was offended by that. I'm working harder on the remote than they were working on defense in that game. But it's interesting. A lot of people think that NBA players don't remember stuff like that. But the Cavs talked Monday night after mm-hmm. they beat Denver about how upset they were by that night and by getting beat by that many points and how they came, they came into that game Monday night thinking they wanted to show Denver something. Uh, and they're two and two after that. It was a pretty impressive win for a young team early in the season. I thought the Hawks game was also at home. Mm-hmm. One, the Hawks are good. They took Trey Young out of it. He didn't really do that much. And they won both games against, you know, playoff teams, not just sneaking in playoff teams, viable playoff teams, two ways. One, they defended, and two, they really rebounded. And when guys went to the basket, they went after them. Cavs GM, Kobe Altman, you know, he likes to play the fast-paced thing, fire up all the three-pointers or whatever, because that's the way the league is. Analytics says that. Now, clearly, you can't go back to playing 1964 basketball and nobody takes a three-pointer. But you also, unless your team is built to really be out there like a bunch of greyhounds and go up and down the floor and fire away, you try to do that when you don't have the players to do it. You look like they did uh, in some of those games that we saw the first two nights where they just they just didn't defend well because they're they're kind of scrambling around. You're you're big and you're little. You know, you're big up front. Remember, 72% of the NBA is under six foot nine. I would love to see the stats of how many players are between six foot eight, six foot two, because I bet it's more than half. Uh, so in other words, and you've got all these seven footers, don't just be running and gunning with that group. If you want to create mismatches, you got to go a little slower and let them get down and, and, and create those mismatches. And that's what they did against Atlanta. It's what they did against Denver. And then I think by not scrambling around as much and running like crazy on offense, it helped you get your defense set up better. So every NBA team likes to have an identity like this is what we are. Do you think that's mm-hmm. the identity is just we're going to scrap on defense, make life difficult for the other team's best player. And we're, that's how that's what we want to be known for, first and foremost. And then beyond that, I mean, is that what you see this team's identity? Yeah, or where do you I, see want, I want to own the boards. I want to defend. I want to be smart on offense. Um, I want to use Jared Allen more, by the way. His offense is really growing. He actually has a, has a post game. You don't see much of that in modern NBA. Um, I'd like to just kind of get the ball to Mobley more uh, and just go that way. It was fascinating to watch, by the way, because Bernie Baker, I mean, Bernie, J.B. Bickerstaff is used to, or let me try again, J.B. wants to win some games. So all of a sudden you're seeing Ricky Rubio and Kevin Love came out of nowhere in Denver. Uh, maybe he's making his case to be traded to the West Coast. Whatever the reason, um, that was a flashback there to the old Kevin Love. But even in some of the other games where he didn't score as much, he is rebounding. 
And you could see that he has a bit of a chemistry with Rubio and they start playing smarter basketball. So I'm, I'm curious to see how this goes the rest of the trip, whether those two games are an anomaly or they're onto something. But I know this, if I'm coaching it, I'm showing all kinds of tapes of defense and showing all kinds of tapes of what's pounded inside a little bit. Um, and then all we could get set up outside. You don't need to fire up 35 or 40 three-pointers a game with this group to win any NBA. Now I want to shoot some, I want to, I'm not going that way, but you just don't need to fire. How, how many times did you see Denver come down and they'll have a two and one fast break. And the guy stops 28 feet from the basket, jacks up a three, missed it. The Cavs got the rebound instead of like, he just dribbled it in. He probably end up with the two. I get so sick in the NBA. If you're well, three points are better than two. Well, my counter is, and I, I wish it was my original line, but I heard it somewhere else. Two points are better than none. <laughs> yeah, it, it's been interesting to watch, too. Like the Cavs, they want to see these young players taking strides every game. And yeah. the first couple of games we saw Evan Mobley and our colleague Chris Fedor was writing about how he has, he has lived up to everything they could have hoped for and more. And I think we did see Jared Allen the other night. I mean, if you look at that stat line, he played 36 and a half minutes, 21 points, 16 boards. He was 10 of 11 from the field. He was plus five when he was mm-hmm. on the court. He held Nikola Djokic down uh, as much as you could to a reigning MVP. And JB, you know, like you said, he challenged Jared Allen before the game and said, you're, get, you're getting him and go do it. And that was like, a, if you're the Cavs and you're looking at these key core pieces yeah. and you're seeing what Evan Mobley has done so far and you're seeing what Jared Allen has done so far. And like you said, you got some veteran leadership now. Like you have to be pretty happy for the Cavs at this point, right? And you, look, Sexton isn't shooting as well as he can, but Sexton could score. Sexton will always score. He'll always play hard and always score. Not May not always be what we would call smart, uh, but relentless. It seems like you got to get Garland together. You know, he gets these injuries a lot. That's what's been for his whole career has been the limited career has been to see. He seems to get some momentum going and here comes the ankle or the sore knee or whatever it is. Uh, but in the past, then he has stuck with Delhi or somebody else. Well, now you have Rubio um, and maybe you could watch Rubio and, and he's sort of underwhelming, but then you look at the stat line. It's like, look, he had 10 assists. He did this. And the players do respect him. You know, they give him the ball. And so I'm, I'm encouraged. Now this is, this is still a, it's a killer trip, but they got two LA teams. Then they go to Phoenix. And of course, everybody ends their West coast trip in Charlotte. Of course it's tradition. <laughs> well, you do, if you're Cleveland, I'll tell you that, but they would always stick you somewhere else. Or the other thing they would do when I was on the beat for many years after is they would end it in Utah. Nobody ever wanted to play that last game in Utah. That was when Carl Malone and all those guys, Stockton, were there. Yep. And they'd run up just, and down the court. It's, you know, it's your sixth game and nine nights and welcome to Salt Lake. And everybody just thinking about the plane ride home and looked like it. Yep. After chasing Carl Malone and John Stockton yeah. up and down <laughs> yeah, the court right. all night, you need a nice long sleep on the plane. So, all right, Terry, like you mentioned, the Cavs, we're taping this Wednesday. Cavs are playing at the Clippers tonight. That's a 1030 tip. And then Friday, they're against the Lakers. That's also a 1030. And Saturday, they're at Phoenix, and that's at 10 o'clock. So, all right, let's talk some baseball. The unlikely star of the MLB postseason is Eddie Rosario. Who would have thunk that? The Indians offered him to like every team, every team. They finally had to like pay like 
I don't know, 800 grand of the salary and take. Yeah. The, so the, real the quick, the, so the trade was on yeah. July 30th and they sent Eddie Rosario and $500,000 to the Braves and they got back Pablo Sandoval in return. So yeah, yeah you're right. 500, 500, yeah, 500 there and plus another eight, 300 or whatever was the Panda was owed because they let him go. So I think it was like 800 grand. It cost him to get rid of Eddie Rosario. He had more coming in his salary. I think he had a $7 million contract, but he was at that point, he was dealing with the dreaded oblique injury. He had just Hoynes acted like, I mean, rather Hoynes wrote a really good line. He said, where Eddie was sort of acting like it's cold in Cleveland as if he had played his whole career in Tampa Bay instead of Minnesota. It really was odd. Like he just didn't seem to want to be here and he didn't play particularly well. And nobody was knocking down their door to get him. They ran an auction basically. Do you want him? Do you want him? You know how they text around and this is the best they got. And he didn't do anything for a while in Atlanta. And then he went crazy. So the odd thing from day one, though, it was in his interest on a one-year contract to play well. Right, yeah. So when he was in Cleveland, as you were pointing out, 254 was his batting average, 15 doubles, seven homers in 78 games. Uh, Sandoval never never made it to the Major League roster, didn't play for the Indians this year. Um, so it, basically what we saw was the Indians trying to get out from, what, two or $3 million for the last couple of months of the season, save a little money, uh, and, and also they accomplished the, that, right? And also they just wanted to just play uh, the kids in the outfield, Zimmer, uh, Mercado, all those guys. They wanted to play them because they thought, let's just look at them. Because they're thinking we're not going to bring Rosario back anyway, so let's open up the spots for those players. There was a combination of the two. Now, had they been in, and they also go, we're not going to win the division, I'm not going to make the playoffs. Uh, I think otherwise it would have. And the fact is, he did. Uh, he was hurt. So, given all that, the fact yes. that he's a free agent and he probably made himself some money this last month. Uh, there's no chance the Indians would want to bring him back. It just doesn't seem like a good fit, right? No, no. They would want to go, as you say, a different direction. <laughs> if you went through it once and he didn't really work for you with him, um, probably not. I guess what I would be with the, see what the Indians would be doing is, you know, how are they view these outfielders? I'm very anxious to see when they put together the real 40-man roster, you know, right before the winter meetings and the draft and all that to see – because I would be shocked if Zimmer and Mercado were both on it. Um, and I would not be surprised even if they left them both off. Really? Mm-hmm. Because maybe somebody takes them, maybe they don't. But, you know, the, and this is something a top Indians person mentioned to me. He says, we were talking about Zimmer, and I go, well, you know, he's been a prospect at this. He said, he's two months younger than Jose Ramirez. I mean, he's going to be 30. And he shows, he actually showed more of this past year than he has for a while, but he still strikes out like almost 40% of the time. Uh, it's nice to have him in right field. And when he had him in right field and straw and center, that was good. So uh, defensively, but I don't know if he's going to hit. We've always talked about Indians and outfielders, so nothing much has changed. Yep. Well, it was the only reason I brought it up because they are going to spend more. They've said yeah. this offseason, but it, it, you're right. It doesn't seem like a good fit to bring. No, there's probably some guy. other guy, uh, some other rent, bat rental. or You know, they, they got to find like another Napoli or somebody like that. That, as, as, they was, as Francona would say, you know, the great teammate and a guy that wants to be here and 
um, you know, the Hedges is a guy like that. You know, Jose Ramirez, along with being as uh, brilliant as he is on the field, they just rave about him in the dugout and how he is, especially with the younger Latin guys and that. I mean, he brings the whole package together. And he is a smart player. How does he steal these bases? He's slow. He, he, you know, he, <laughs> he's got these little legs and everything, but he knows when to go. And he brings it every single day. He brings it every day. And that's the other thing. And then you say, you point to this guy and, and he, you know, he knows he's underpaid. He knows it, but he doesn't sit there and well, you know, I'm just going to sit out or they, you know, they're not treating me right or any of that stuff. Um, I'd be very anxious to see if the Indians once we well, got to wait till probably the uh, uh, basic agreement is done whenever that is. Uh, and then to see what that does in terms of I would, then I'm the Indians I'm coming forth or two or three more years on top of Jose's two years to see what I could do. All right. Well, it's going to be interesting. Hot stove season in terms of the 40, who, who does end up on the 40 man, yeah. how some of these um, arbitration eligible players turn out and, uh, and that part of it too. So, all right, Terry. Hey, let's talk about your faith column this week. Uh, it'll be on cleveland.com Saturday and in the, in the paper on Sunday in the Plain Dealer. This week, you're writing about families dealing with dementia. And I thought there were some really interesting insights in there about how when someone in your family comes down with dementia, it's very hard to separate the person that they've become, that the disease has made them into compared to who they used to be. And it's very hard to kind of separate that for a lot of people. And I thought you talked to some interesting people who had some insights about how we can cope with that when, when, it, when it happens in our family. Yeah, the idea for the faith column came from, um, I got an email from a lady who uh, uh, read the faith column the week before about sort of where suddenly you're in a position where, as one lady wrote, I'm my mother's mother, or we're taking care of. But then a lot of these people talked about the blessing they had, and even though it was difficult, in helping you know, their older relative or whoever it was that they were and, and how they got closer from. That was very true in my own case. This lady wrote, she said, I wish I had the same story, but I don't. My mother came down with Alzheimer's and she, the sweet, wonderful person, got violent, talked about, um, and she punched the daughter and her name was Emily, but punched Emily in the jaw. She scratched and clawed her son. And they ended up having to put her in the memory care unit. It got so bad. They want to make sure that she always had at least two visitors at a time in case this lady would go violent. And it's like, so what do you do? And one of the uh, interesting people, new person that um, I talked to, was Pastor Robin Hedgeman from uh, Bethany Christian in Cleveland. I got her name, by the way, from Wayne Dawson. You know, Wayne, who's on Channel 8, is a pastor of a, uh, a Grace Tabernacle Church on the east side of Cleveland. And we were talking, and he says, Robin's really good. You ought to use her for your faith count. So I talked to her, and one of the things she, she said was, um, when you're talking to a friend who has somebody, you know, it could be somebody with really bad cancer or whatever, that they really are not interested in your ideas about fixing them or getting a new doctor, unless they're asking straight out. They're, they're just so hurt. It just kind of oozes out and that we need to be, to be patient. And she said, remember, they'll be repetitive and you know how to handle that. And I remember when I was dealing in the darkest days of my dad's stroke, I would talk about this a lot to all kinds of people. And even in the middle, I'm going, I just said that. And I'm right back in that story again, you know, because you're, you're hurt. 
um, grief counseling talks about be a, a heart with ears, you know, and, or the old line is you have two ears and one mouth because God gave you that way. So you listen twice as much, but so that's a lot of what this column's about. And if you have somebody, you know, or whatever with, uh, dealing with dementia, this would really be a good one this weekend to, to pass it on to them. Yeah. And one of the things I love about your faith column is it kind of, uh, inspires discussions about these kind of things. And mm-hmm. I think it reminds a lot of people that you're not alone, no matter what you're dealing exactly. with, there's always somebody you can talk to or a resource you can use. So uh, look for that this weekend. Uh, like I said, it'll be online Saturday and in plain dealer on Sunday. So, all right, let's get to some Hey Terry questions to wrap up here. Terry, you posted on your Facebook page, a picture of Cody Allen this week, as you were looking for questions yeah. and, and you put it on there. He's one of your favorite players. Why do you love Cody Allen so much? Well, Allen is still, by the way, the um, Indians all-time save leader. He just, he was, a, I think, a 23rd round pick um, out of High Point College. And he soared to the big leagues. And he was a guy, boy, he, if he's, if he failed in a game, you know, he would just stand in the clubhouse, answer all the questions about, you know, how he didn't uh, come through with the save. Cause a lot of closers will tell you, they don't really want to talk to me after I save the game. They only want to talk to me after I blow it. Uh, and he was, he was never one of those guys. And just, he was very interesting to talk to. He had uh, Tommy John surgery young in his career and, uh, I just, I just liked him. You know, he's just like, like a regular, he's like a regular guy from high point college. I worked in Greensboro. So I know I had long, long time ago, I covered some basketball games at high point, very familiar with it. And he came up the hard way and really did well. It's a shame though. You know, he hurt his arm. Uh, the angel signed him. He went to the twins and, and he didn't even pitch last year, but uh, I was just, I always look for like different pictures to throw up with that. And I saw Alan and for a second, I go, well, I have a file. I go, what Allen is that? And it was Cody Allen. So there he is. All right. So let's get into a few questions that you uh, got in response to your Cody Allen post. Um, first one's about the Browns, actually. And it comes from, I want to make sure I get the name here. This is from Justin King. And he says, how concerned should we be with the Browns offensive line? Conklin and Wills are injured, but toughing it out the best they can. Hubbard is out for the year. Betonio's getting flagged a lot for penalties. Is he injured? Um, how concerned are you with the Browns offensive line or are you um, after they played last Thursday? Not particularly. I mean, you always, they're like, I always say defensive backs are like pitchers. You can never have enough. Well, they're sort of like outfielders. <laughs> you know, you, you always want a couple extras too, but I, I'm not real concerned about it. I'd like to see, um, I think, I want to see what they look like when they come back after 10 days. Cause I think Wills, ankle will be in much better shape. Hopefully they'll get Conklin back. Uh, losing Hubbard was big Chris Hubbard because he could play all the positions and uh, he was the guys really respected him. He was like this, this honored six man in basketball or something that the players really liked him. But unfortunately I forgot what the injury he had, but it was season ending. So yeah, they're trying to triceps turn, tear something. Yeah, triceps they're, triceps tear. they're yeah. trying to turn Blake Hans into that guy. That's what they're doing now. So, yeah, and if you look at the depth chart, Blake Hans is often scattered across the line mm-hmm. in different positions because that's that's the role that uh, Chris Hubbard played. So, and the other guy they thought was coming on, but he got hurt too. Remember Nick Harris? They thought they could play him at guard some. So, mm-hmm. but I think he's out for the year. I know he's on the injured list. All right, here's the next one. This one comes from Bill Fainrich of Wycliffe. He says, "Hey Terry, when will Kenny Lofton or Omar Vizquel be elected to the Hall of Fame? Do you think they should be inducted into the Hall of Fame?" Well, I, 
Well, often they both would have to go. Well, let's put this. No, Omar's still going to be on the ballot. Now, unfortunately for Omar, we've had this off the field stuff that's come up with him um, of late. And, you know, how that's going to play in the minds of voters or whatever. I still intend to vote for him because in my mind, the question there is, how did he play? And I've had him on my ballot ever since he's been on it. Kenny often dropped off the ballot. He has to go on through like what used to be called the old timers committee. I don't know what it is. Uh, my guess is it's going to be hard for him. Um, if he had played a lot of his career with the Yankees or Red Sox or Dodgers, it would have helped. But, you know, so much of his career was here He's with the Braves. And he was kind of with uh, one different team every year at the end of his career, including here when he came back. And when you're on the baseball, you're in the Baseball Writers Association who yes. votes for these uh, Hall of Fame candidates. When is the voting happening? This the year? voting will come out in November um, pretty soon. I haven't got the ballot yet. I thought it was around this time of year, but I couldn't remember yeah. exactly. So that should be uh, happening soon. Sorry, last one, Terry. This one is from Dennis Quigney. He says, hey, Terry, I noticed that all of the mainstays from the Indians mid-90s lineups are in the Indians slash Guardians Hall of Fame, except for a glaring omission, Manny Ramirez. Are they just waiting to get around to him or are relations not good between the team and Manny Ramirez? Well, I think the relations are fine. I mean, the one team, the one guy that uh, is in it um, that, the relations are not good as Albert Bell. They put him in anyway. They kept asking him year after year, will you come, will you come? They finally just put him in. Um, and it's like no matter when they asked him, he always got said he was he had a vacation plan. So I don't know whether he was afraid to come back. It was very odd because a lot was odd with Al- Albert, but that was yet. Manny, I don't know. You know, I got to ask about that. How's all that? Right. It's, yeah, I'm not, we'll follow I, up I would on say that. not afraid. I don't know. I haven't given that any thought at all. But that's correct. You go around and think, you know, Sandy and Tommy. And um, I believe Robbie Alomar is in and I know we know Omar is. And so uh, the other, yeah, he, he probably should be. I got to see if Oral's in. I think Oral Hershiser should be in. Hmm. Well, we'll check on that. That's one reason yeah. we love taking questions is because uh, people bring up stuff like this that we can talk about and find out answers to. So we'll see what we can find out on that. That's a good one. All right, Terry, you ready for some Terry's trivia? Sure. All right. It's Cody Allen. We've been talking about Cody Allen. He was born on November 20th, 1988. How many major leaguers were born on November 20th, 1988? It's kind of a trick question. One. Yes. It's Cody <laughs> Allen. That was going to be my answer anyway, no matter whether you said trick or not, because I, I have no idea. Yeah, I like going into baseball reference sometimes and looking up to see who's who, who's on different baseball birthdays. And I'm like, gee, who else is so, Cody all right, so that Allen's Allen, birthday so, twin? So when, when, when's his birthday? November 20th, 1988. So right now, he is actually 30. He'll be 31. So on, he'd be, let's see, 98, 08, 18. So he's, he's 33. 33, excuse right, me. Right, this yeah. year on November yeah. 20th, he'll be 33. Yeah. He's 32, been 32 this year. And yep. he was out, I believe, most of last year, too. So he was done at 30. Yep. Uh, well, the, a lot of remember, the key thing to keep in mind about relievers is oftentimes they're, as they say, relievers for a reason. Um, and it has to do, many of them, like Cody Allen, had arm injuries earlier in their career or whatnot. And they usually only have two pitches. And it's uh, that's why. Some of these managers, they don't worry about burn them out either. They always figure out and get all I can out of them because that 
torch is not going to go on like Mariano Rivera forever. Well, the other thing that people don't think about relievers is you you can, don't have to just count the innings, but every time they're pitching an inning, they warm up and they're throwing yep. how many pitches during warmups. I mean, there's a lot of mileage uh, that that gets put on a reliever's arm that people don't even think about just from warming up every time they have to pitch. So and the, and they always talk about high leverage innings, and that's true. You know, you you come in there with a one-run lead. It's not like when you start the game and it's like, oh, man, I just hung that curveball and they hit it out, but it's one nothing or it's 2 nothing. It's not the end of it. You do that, um, you don't really want to face your teammates or anybody else. And that was a, that's a tough thing, too, Cody Allen and others. They were good at the, the really – Andrew Miller, Wickman was that way, Doug Jones. You go back. They faced their teammates, too, and that's hard. You walk in there, and no matter what they say, yeah, well, if we'd have done this in the seventh or whatever, you were up three to two in the ninth, and you didn't finish it. It's on you. Yep, and I think the players respect it when the when the guys are like that, and like you said, when they face the media, too, that, that shows. Yes, that they do. They stand up and take it good or bad or indifferent. So, um, All right, Terry, I think we're good for this week. Anything else you want to add real quick? It should be a fascinating few days in Cleveland sports, no doubt about yeah. that. Yeah, I'm looking forward. I really am. That was probably this is my the game I've looked the most forward to, other than the opening game in Kansas City for the Browns all year. Yeah, we'll learn a lot on Sunday, that's for sure. Well, listen, everybody, thanks for listening to this week's edition of Terry's Talking. We will talk to you next week and enjoy the weekend. Catch you later.